0: The last week of a series that we've been calling You Incorporated, and talking about how you discover your purpose, your passion, your calling, the unique makeup of why you were designed and created and put on this earth, and I have loved the feedback from this series. Today, we're going to wrap it up in a nice little bow and talk about how you finish strong, Next week, we're starting a new series. Man, I'm pretty excited about it. We're going to be starting a series called I Hate People. Somebody say, Amen. I feel like that is a reoccurring theme from people around me. I hate people. We don't say we hate individuals. We don't say we hate the ones that annoy us. We don't say we hate the ones that drive us crazy, the ones who treat us crappy. What we do is we allow a small percentage of the people in our lives to make our love for all people turn into hate. And so what we're going to do throughout that series is we're going to be looking at different aspects of people. How you deal with people who manipulate you. How you deal with hypocritical people, how you deal with critical people, how you deal with conniving people, how you deal with people who hurt you, we're going to get very specifics and talk about how we deal with people that we just simply hate. I'm at a stage in my life where there's a lot of people I hate. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm not saying that's a spiritual thing. I'm not saying that's the way a pastor should be. I'm just being honest with you today. And what I've learned in my own life is if I don't learn how to deal with those certain emotions when it comes to people, it can literally rob me of every aspect of my life, but I'm getting ahead of myself, and that's next week. So you want to be here, bring your friends, tell your enemies, bring the people you hate. (laughs) We're talking about discovering your passion in life. We're talking about how you put the steps in place to implement the passion of your life. We're talking about last week dealing with discouragement as you go towards your passion. We talked about how when you move forward, there's going to be just discouraging things that happen, situations, people, different things that come along. And today we're going to wrap it up by talking about finishing strong you've been reading along in the book of Nehemiah, we're in Nehemiah chapter 6, and I want to encourage you. I have people all the time tell me, hey, I want to start reading my Bible. Where where should I start? I always tell people we should always start in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, but I tell you, a great book to start is Nehemiah because it's a simple book. It's an easy-to-understand book. It's a book that we've just went through, so it will make a little more sense to you. I would encourage you to go to Nehemiah, and today we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 6. In the context of Nehemiah, for those that you haven't been here, real quick, the context is, this is 444 B.C., 444 years before Christ would ever come. Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king of Persia. One day, Nehemiah's brothers show up they, for a visit. Nehemiah says, hey, man, what's going on back home? They say, man, things are horrible. There's no hope. The walls are tore down. Things are bad back home. The people are vulnerable. They're down. We're discouraged. And this pricks something in the heart of Nehemiah. It sparked something in the heart of Nehemiah. And suddenly, this ordinary person, this cupbearer, that, what that meant was is before the king would take a sip of his wine, the cupbearer would taste the wine. If the cupbearer lived, the king knew the wine was safe to drink. It was not a highly educated job. He was an ordinary person by society standards. But the minute Nehemiah hears the walls are torn down, this ordinary person has an extraordinary burden Placed upon him. It was such a heavy burden what was going on back in his hometown that it literally moved him to tears. The Bible says he started fasting, he started praying, he went to the king. This was no little matter for a servant to go to the king. And he went to the king and he asked for permission to go back and rebuild the walls, and the king granted him permission. He traveled over a thousand miles back there. He, he went and rallied the people of Jerusalem, and they began the work of rebuilding the walls. They began the work of rebuilding this safety net that had been down for around 140 years. He started this project, and God used an ordinary man to do something that everyone else thought was completely impossible, Nehemiah wasn't the first one to hear about the walls being torn down. He'd never even seen Jerusalem, so he wasn't the first one to actually see the walls torn down. His brothers talked about how desolate they were back home, but Nehemiah had something that no one else had. He had a burden, he had a passion, and he had a willingness to step out and actually do something about the need that he saw. It's easy to talk about the need. It's a whole nother story, to do something about the need. It's easy to talk about homelessness. It's hard to do something about it. It's easy to do something about people going without food. It's hard to do something about it. It's easy to talk about people who don't have winter coats or clothing or a place for addicts to meet. It's a totally different story. Oh, I just hit puberty right here in the service, man. You guys have been praying for that. Maybe I'll grow up. Listen, it's a totally different story when you have to get out and do something about it. Now, I got to tell you something. Now, this is a big statement by Action Church standards. Because you people are crazy. But Nehemiah 6 is going to get a little bit weird today. It's going to get weird by Action Church standards weird. It's going to kind of have like a soap opera twist. It's going to have a murder plot. There's going to be like a little Jerry Springer action going on in here. And I just want you to be prepared because like, if this was like a movie, this would be the part like, dun, 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 you know, we'd be there. Like, it gets weird in Nehemiah chapter 6. The Bible says this, Nehemiah 6, When the word came to Samballot, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall. So we're at a point now where the wall is rebuilt. He showed up. He's done what he said he was going to do, and the wall has been rebuilt. They had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it. Though up at that time, don't miss this, I had not set the doors in the gates. Nehemiah is at a point where he is almost done with what he was called to do. The wall has been rebuilt. Apparently they had done a good job building the wall. They say there was no gap in the wall. There was nowhere the enemy could attack. What everyone said couldn't be done. If you remember last week what the critical people said, a fox would run up and it would fall down. The wall's looking good. They had a few more steps. They had to set the doors of the gates. They were so close to being finished. They were so close to being done. And all of a sudden these guys show up, Sam Ballett, Tobiah, Geshem, good guys or bad guys? bad guys? Bad guys. Okay. They show up, and it says the rest of our enemies had heard that I had rebuilt the wall, and there was not a gap left in it. So Nehemiah has built the wall. There's one thing left to do. It says, though, at that time I knocked at the doors. And we're going to learn this spiritual principle today. If you're taking notes, write this down. The closer you get to doing what God wants done, the harder your enemy will fight to stop you. Leave that up for a second. The closer you get done to get to doing what God wants done, the harder your enemy will fight to stop you. I read an interesting stat this week. It said that when people set out to follow their dreams, listen to this. It said 70% of dreams die when they're 80% complete. That's staggering to me. Over 70% of dreams die when they're 80% complete, you're rocking, you're rolling, things are going good, you're, you're taking off on that adrenaline high of living your purpose, everybody's excited, everybody's pumped up, you're almost done, and you can rest assured when you're almost done, the enemy is going to take it to a whole nother level of destruction. They're going to do whatever they can to destroy you, I'm always amazed when people come and say, life shouldn't be like this. We're always under attack. This is going on and that's going on. Of course that's going on and of course this is going on because you're doing something that God has called you to do and when you're doing something God has called you to do, the enemy's going to do whatever he can to stop you, destroy you, discourage you, frustrates you. He don't care if you get 80% done, but he never wants you 100% done. Somebody say "Man, today. Amen. <laughs> Man, that's good preaching. The closer you get to doing what God wants done, the harder your enemy will stop to fight you. How many of you have ever encountered that? I mean, things are just rocking and rolling. You're doing something, and then out of nowhere, you face opposition Now, last week, we talked about you facing discouragement. There's a difference between discouragement and facing opposition. Discouragement is more of an internal thing. It's an emotional thing. It's criticism. It's frustration. It's fatigue. It's you're just discouraged. The enemy, though, will come out and do whatever he can to attack you. Now, remember this, though, from last week. We said we don't face opposition when we're doing something wrong. We face opposition when we're doing something right. So for some of you, God's been moving in your life. God's been moving you towards something, and you're about to accomplish that something that God has called you to do, and out of nowhere, there's resistance. It could be you finally decided, you know what? We need to be in fellowship. We need to be in community with other Christ followers. We need healthy people around our life. We need to start doing life with people who who are doing life together. They encourage each other and they lift each other up. And so you decide, and man, you're going to go out and you're going to go hang out with a screw of people and you finally got the nerve to introduce yourself because the Bible says a man who has friends must show himself friendly and you've actually been friendly for once and now you got some friends and you're all excited and you come home from work and you're jacked up and suddenly the kid's throwing up everywhere and you got to cancel your plans and you're frustrated about it. You decide, you know what? We've been married X number of years, and we got a lot of things, but one of the things that we don't have is a spiritual marriage. And so you'll decide, man, we're going to start putting God first in our marriage. We're going to start being in church together. We're going to start serving together. We're going to start reading our Bible together. We're going to start... praying together and man you're working it and you're doing your thing and that first Sunday comes along and you get up and the enemy don't ever attack like he attacks on Sunday morning I mean what is it about Sunday morning I get up at 4:45 every single day of my life without an alarm like that and I can't get up on Sunday morning to save my life and why on Sunday morning does nothing work this morning I'm trying to turn on Pandora and I listen to some words to It that won't work. Why will it not work? It's worked for seven years. And this morning my stupid dogs who are like clockwork every morning at 7.30 go outside without fail. It's 6.30 and they're going crazy. Why are you going crazy? You've got another hour before you got to go to the bathroom. I'm in bed. Shut up. And then I get in there, and I turn the water on, and I go walking around the house, and I'm ironing my shirt and doing my thing, and I just not think about it. I think the water's warmed up, and I jump in the shower and realize I've turned on the cold water. And it's just one of those mornings. But here's where it really fights. You decide you're going to have a spiritual marriage. Then you and your wife get in the car together, and you start. Man, is there any fight like a Sunday morning in the car fight? And don't even laugh like you don't even know what I'm talking about. Because, man, a husband and a wife can throw down on a Sunday morning in the car. But here's what's always amazing about it. You'll be cussing her on Marietta Road. But the minute you turn that park light, I'm blessed, brother. Praise Jesus. I mean, that's why, hey, I get it. That's why Chrissy and I drive separate cars to church. You know, we drive separate cars. I hate to preach when she's mad and she's right. And she's always right. So we just drive separate cars. That way we ain't got to fight. I got to come and be in my zen on Sunday mornings. But man, you decide you're going to have that great marriage and put God first and all hell breaks loose on Sunday morning. The enemy attacks. How about this? Because this is always my struggle. You decide, man, my body is a temple. I'm a representation of Jesus. And I'm going to go work out and I'm going to eat right. And I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. And you're doing it, man. You're working it. And for the first time ever, you're clicking, Chris. And you're like, man, this might become a habit. And you roll up into Walmart. And they got little Debbie Fudge rounds. Buy one, get 22 of them free. And you try to walk past the little Debbie Fudge rounds. And then you come back. And they're just there. Buy one, get 22 free. But you're strong. You check out, and you don't buy any little Debbies. And you walk out the door, and there's the crack dealer. That little stinking girl with her little stupid sash on. She ain't even got a good deal on her crack. It's $4 for a box. You could have got 23 boxes of little Debbies for a dollar. And I'm out like, here, just take my money. So my wife has been working the last few days. She said to me, hey, there's a Girl Scout person. What's the cookies you like? She's trying to be sweet. I love her. So I played dumb for me. Like, I, can't I didn't want to tell her I'd already ate two boxes this week. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I can't remember what they're called. Let me look online. She's going to listen to this podcast tonight. She's going to find out. But here's the deal. I'm weak. We've been doing this anabolic fashion. you eat during a certain time. So I made sure that I ate the whole box of cookies during my eight-hour time of eating. <laughs> and you're supposed to eat peanut butter for protein, and they're tag-alongs, and I like the peanut butter in them. <laughs> Ain't amazing how we'll justify our sin. And I was helping a good cause. I was just like, take my money. Like, literally, I, told, I didn't know how much money I had. Like, if I'd have had $30, I'd have bought $30. I had $8, so I got two boxes. I'm just throwing out, like, like, like some of you when you're buying smokes, like it was all wadded up, you know. It's like all just stuck in my pocket. I'm, I'm counting the pennies to make sure it rounds up. I seen y'all at the store buying lottery. You can't pay rent, but you got money for lottery tickets. Oh, that's another sermon. But I'm just saying. I see that's the way I was. That's the way I was for the Girl Scout. Take it, take it now. You take credit card, (laughs) man. I mean, you just set out to do something. You're in the zone. I bragged a couple of weeks I said, man, I had these pants for 10 years. They didn't fit me. Now they fit me. And this morning, they're tight. But I wasn't going to be defeated. I can't breathe right now. Okay? But nevertheless, I got the top button undone. <laughs> but I got them on. Because I'm at the end. I ain't going to let the enemy discourage me. We need to realize that when we're close to finishing, that's when the enemy's going to attack When we're close to finishing, that's when the enemy gets scared. I told you the Bible says the devil walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. He waits till you're almost done. Here's why, because when you're almost done, you're tired. When you're almost done, you start to go through the motions. When you start to almost done, you, in a lot of ways, if you're like me, you've moved on to the next project mentally. You're not thinking about this project, so you don't see that it's going sideways. We underestimate the enemy. And then we get frustrated and say, I don't understand why we're always under attack. You're going to be under attack if you're doing things for God. Nehemiah was under attack. Jesus was under attack. David was under attack. Peter was under attack. Paul lived most of his life in prison. Who do you think you are that you're not going to be under attack? The Bible says this it says, In this world, you will have trouble. It don't say you may have trouble. It don't say if you do dumb things, you'll have trouble. It says in this world, you will have trouble. Hey, baby, take it to the bank. If you got trouble, chances are real good you're on the right path. I start to get real itchy when there ain't no trouble because I want to know if I'm out of God's will. Am I not doing things right... We got to learn that when we close in, because this is so important because so many of you are fired up right now. You're fired up from the last series, boy. You're working and you're living like no one else so you can live like no one else. And you're busting that cash envelope system out and you're working your side jobs and you got your emergency fund and everything's going good. And here's what happens you get that emergency fund, you get about two or three months of working it and things are going good, and you lose that edge just a little bit. We can sacrifice this month and not do it. Ah, you know what? It don't matter if this month. It's only $100 on the credit card. Bam. The next thing you know, you're back out. Worse than ever. You're like a junkie. They say when a junkie relapses, man, they say a junkie can be clean 10 to 15 years, and when they relapse, they go right back to what they were doing all along, and they said it's only a matter of days before they're doing more than they've ever done. It's kind of like when you're losing weight. I don't want to pick on junkies today, so it's also I'll pick on fat people like me. And so, listen, it's kind of like when you lose all the weight and you lose 20 pounds, but then you gain the weight back. You don't ever gain 20 pounds back. You gain 30 pounds back. You know what I mean? Then you lose that 30, and, then you're rocking and rolling about six months. Man, I done gained 40 back. We let our guard down. It's kind of like, you know, you get a new car. well ain't no one drinking in your car. Ain't no one eating in your car. Every time you get out of the car, you take all the trash out. Then the first time you're in a hurry and the kids are hungry, you're like, okay, it's so one time i make an exception. Next thing you know, it's always the exception. Yep. When you get towards the end of what you're about to do, we let our guard down, and when we let our guard down, the enemy comes along and tries to destroy us. He takes the heat up. He ramps the heat up when you're 80% done. You've got a month left in drug court. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. In the last month, I've encountered three different people in drug court that had less than 45 days left who blew it. They had done good for years. One of, them in Cher- one of them in Cherokee, one of them in Cobb, and one of them in Bartow. Calling me, I don't know what to do. But you did, you let your guard down. You got comfortable. You, you lost your edge. You lost that healthy fear. You lost that healthy anxiety. There's bad anxiety, but there's healthy anxiety. There's that, 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 that want to. You thought you had it beat. You thought you had it done. And the enemy comes along and frustrates you and discourages you. He gets worried when we're close to finishing because there's nothing more the enemy wants than you to live your life without living your purpose. Here's the deal. It's going to happen. The enemy is going to attack you. I'm not trying to discourage you today. I'm not trying to frustrates you today, I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer today but if you don't get to the point in your life that you accept that the enemy wants to destroy you, that the enemy hates you that the enemy hates the things of God. The enemy hates you getting victory. The enemy hates people living out their purpose. If you can't get to the point in your life that you realize and accept that the enemy's going to attack you, and I'm going to show you how he attacks you, you're never going to get to the point of living the purpose you have for your life. People tell me, I want to live a normal life. What is normal? Your normal is different than my normal. My normal is crazy to some of you, but it's normal to me. I don't do much well, but I do accept that the enemy's going to attack. I know it, I deal with it, and I've learned some things about it. It's funny, I've preached through Nehemiah probably a hundred times. It's my favorite book in the Bible, and I've never preached through Nehemiah 6 and I knew I was preaching this and I was writing things down this week and I was going back and looking at some things I'd wrote down about a month ago when I had the series and it was amazing what God began to reveal to me. Here's how the enemy will distract you. First of all, that's what the enemy will do. He will try to distract you. How will the enemy attack you? He will try to distract you. Sam Ballad and Geshem sent me this message. This I Nehemiah speaking. Come, let us meet together. On one of the villages on the plain of Ono, but they were scheming to harm me. Nehemiah's sitting there, he's building the wall, he's working on the wall, and here come these two jokers that have been attacking him, criticizing him, putting him in and said, Hey, why don't we meet? Come, let's meet together. Hey, don't miss this. Stop doing the work and let's go talk about our differences. Let's go talk about what we're hey get off the wall. Hey, quit worrying about your sobriety. Let, 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 let's go meet. I, we ain't got a drink, but I know a great bar's got good food, man. Why don't we go there? Hey, hey, let's talk for a moment. L- let's go to Ono. Oh, a little spiritual lesson for you today. Never meet in a place called Ono. <laughs> you know it's gonna go bad, okay? So here's the enemy, Nehemiah's working, the wall's built, it's built good, there's no gaps in it, he's getting ready to put the doors in, the gate's in, and the gate's are in, he knows it's a done job, and the enemy comes back along, now remember last week in chapter 4, the enemy was criticizing him, and now they come along like, hey, man, let's go meet, man, do we really have our differences? Let's go meet, let's talk it out, hey, you're having all this progress, Why don't you stop for a minute? Let's get him off the wall. Let's get him distracted. Let's get him unfocused on the things of God and get him focused on dealing with us. The enemy will come along and try to distract you. And the funny thing is, as you read forward, you'll see they were trying to do more than that. They weren't just trying to get him off the wall. They were trying to get him away from the people of Jerusalem because they had a plan to kill him. Sometimes the distractions will kill you. Sometimes the distractions will destroy you sometimes the distraction seems like an innocent oh look there's a squirrel and it becomes the end of you when you start moving forward and doing what god calls you to do the enemy's going to come along and try to distract you he's going to try to get your focus off of your mission he's going to try to get your focus off of your purpose and here's the deal we need to understand he might not distract us with big things Sometimes it's the small things. Most of us are smart enough to avoid the big distractions. But the small distractions will kill us. It's the small distractions that over time that become big distractions. It's often the little distractions that become the big disruptions. This beginning of this week was rough for me. I allowed a bunch of little things to distract me. I had a very specific week this week. The kids were out of school. I had a very limited amount of time where I could do what I needed to do. I had to be very calculated. It's very rare that I had to be calculated with my calendar. And I had a very calculated time on my calendar. And boy, Monday came along, and I let somebody begin to distract me. Funny thing is someone I don't even know. Funny thing is someone that don't have anything to do with what I'm doing, who posts a bunch of stuff on social media that four or five crackheads liked, no one else noticed, but I was distracted by it. Nothing big. But I let it distract me on Monday and got nothing done. I had to double up on Tuesday. And Tuesday morning came and went, and I was distracted. Then about 1 o'clock, I was like, wait a minute, what am I, I got stuff to do. This person is nothing to me. They don't know me. They don't know my story. They think they've heard some things that they have no clue about. So I did what any God-fearing person would do. I called my father-in-law. I said, I'm distracted by this situation, will you handle it? And I didn't think about it again. You say, did he handle it? I don't know. I don't ask questions. <laughs> but I had a distraction-free rest of my week. Someone said, I can't believe you're flashing me. I, I wrote this sermon a long time ago. I'm just telling you stories. <laughs> I was allowing people who are pushing their own selfish agendas and have no idea the things that are going on to distract me of things that were more important. <clears throat> In one of my business endeavors this week, I found out a competitor was making changes to compete head-on with what I was doing. Now, here's the reality of that situation. That's their right. Here's the other situation. I can't stop them. I have no control over what they do, but I allowed that to distract me for a few minutes. Worried about trying to figure out what their scheme was and what their angle was. All of a sudden, I was like, "What do I care? We'll just do what we do, keep doing what we do, we'll do it better than them. And now they've irritated me, and I'm going to put them out of business. I quit getting distracted by the rumors of what they were going to do. I got a message this week. It's been a busy week. I got a message this week from someone wanting to meet with me over a cup of coffee. I don't drink coffee. Over an issue that literally had nothing to do with them. I messaged them back and said, I don't understand why we need to meet about this issue. You don't have a dog in that fight. I said, I'm very busy this week. They instantly got mad. They got very upset. Matter of fact, they were furious that I would not talk to them. Now, here's the reality situation. I have no problem talking with people and meeting with people. But this person has made their view on this particular issue very clear. So why am I going to take time out of my schedule when I'm busy doing the work that they're criticizing and take time out to try to convince them, which I'm never going to convince them, and all we're going to do is meet and get more angry with each other. So, again, and it doesn't affect them. But some of you would have met with them and been distracted by them. But here's the deal. It's not always a bad thing. I was recently asked to be on the, the leadership board of Cherokee Focus. It's a great group of people doing amazing things in our county. I was honored that they asked me. And I told them no. I said, why did you tell them no? Because what they needed me to do at this time of my life doesn't fit with what I feel like the vision and the purpose of my life is. It's a good thing. But me devoting the time they needed to this good thing was keeping me away from doing what I feel my calling is, which is the great thing. Nothing wrong with it. Again, I told him, I said, I'm rooting for you guys. I'm for you. Man, I I'm, love you. I don't have time to do what you need me to do. I recently was asked to be on a public forum for those dealing with addiction. It was going to be a three-day retreat, and for three days I would sit up on a stage in like a forum setting, and we would answer questions about addiction. Awesome. Powerful thing. Cool thing. Great. I think a lot of people will probably be helped from the, I don't think a lot of individual addicts would be helped from but I think a lot of movers and shakers who want to help addicts would have been helped from But here's the deal. It's not my calling. I don't have three days to devote to them. It's not my passion. We have people here that it is their passion. And so I told them no. They tried to put the guilt on me. Well, blah, blah. I said, I think what you're doing is a great thing. I don't have three days to devote to it. I've got this going on, and this going on, and this going on, and this going on. And I just got to focus. I'm up on the wall doing the work I feel called to do. So listen, sometimes the distractions aren't always bad things, sometimes the distractions are good things. But the good things will keep you from the great things. You've heard me say this before, the biggest enemy of great is good. So many of you can't say no to good things. And in the process of doing all the good things, you're missing out on the greatest thing that God's called you to do. If you're very careful, you can let something, even a good thing, distract you from the very best thing. Nehemiah knew, he said, I think Nehemiah wanted peace. I think Nehemiah wanted everyone to get along, but Nehemiah knew I need to get these gates up. I need to get these walls up. I believe, I don't know why I'll ask him when I get to heaven, hey, if you got the gates up, you'd have probably met with them, wouldn't you? I believe it. he said, yeah, but he wasn't going to do it while he was doing the work. He didn't need to hear them criticizing what he was doing when they weren't doing anything. You know, my favorite story is the story of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was a great advantage. He traveled all over the country, and he won people to Jesus. An old lady came up to him one time. She goes, I don't like your method of evangelism. He said, oh, I'm sorry, ma'am. He said, What's your method? She said, I don't have one. He said, well, I like mine better. Have you ever noticed it's always the ones doing nothing who want to tell you how to do it? Mm, Stand close, preacher. He said, I'm not coming down. I'm not coming down. When the enemy comes along and he tries to distract you, I'm not coming down. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. Man, I was a pimp. He didn't even tell him himself. He's swinging that hammer, setting them gates on the front lines like a leader should be. He said, go take care of this. I'm carrying on a great project and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Some of you need to realize that about your passion. You're 80% done and now you're getting distracted. But everyone who wants to give their input, they didn't want to give input in the beginning days because they didn't believe you could do it, but now they know you're about to do it, and they want on, in on it. Mm. They're not going to give up four times, four times, four times, four times. They sent me the same message, come down and let's meet. And each time I gave them the same answer. When those distractions come, you got to be focused. When the enemy wants to meet, you got to be focused. When good opportunities come along, and I think that's that's the hardest thing, it's easy to avoid the bad things. Those that accomplish great things are those that have learned to decipher between great things and good things. I could stay busy all day long doing good things, things that are genuinely good, but they're not my passion. He said, I'm not coming down. He said, I'm not going to, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, I'm not going to, oh, no, okay? He said, they were scheming to harm me. And I said, I know what they want to do. They want to get me done before we get the gate set. Because once the gate set, we'll return to power. <laughs> Why should the work stop by leaving and go down to you? I'm not coming down. I had someone yesterday post an article about a sober bar. It was a cool article. I read it. I thought, that's kind of cool. Place kind of has a bar vibe, had music and this and that. People come hang out. I knew it the minute I saw what was gonna happen. Somebody got said, Oh, I'd love to start something like this. I was like, Here it goes. Second comment, you ought to ask Gary Lamb to start something like this. <laughs> I ignored it. Then the private message came. Gary, you ought to start a sober bar. I've always wanted to start a regular bar. I have, since I was 18 years old. I'm not interested in starting a sober bar. What do you think? My response back was, I think it's an incredible idea that I have zero interest in doing. But why? Because I'm not interested. It's not my calling. Do I think it's a bad thing? I guess we have sober bars everywhere. They're called coffee shops. It's kind of what I read when I read the article. But if someone wants to start a sober bar, go for it. Then someone said, we want to start a sober bar at the church. I responded back and said, well, first of all, you don't even go to our church. (laughs) Second of all, we do a lot in our church. And third of all, you missed the point. We're a church. Not that I care about having a bar here, but the people that aren't aren't Christians, aren't believers, they don't want to come hang out at a church. I said, so go raise a bunch of money, find you a storefront where they'll come and start your sober bar. I think it's great. If someone started a sober bar, I'd be the biggest cheerleader for it. But I'm not doing it. It's not my calling. It's not my passion. It's not even 1% my passion. Does that mean it's a bad thing? No, it's a good thing. But it could be a distraction. I've got a buddy of mine, and he cannot grasp this concept. He pastors the church, and every time I tell him, he said, man, we're starting this. I said, why are you starting that? I said, so why don't you let them start it? Well, I don't know. I said, that's why you'll never accomplish anything. I said, man, because you're juggling 20 balls all the time. I've tried to juggle. I just like the one ball. Throw it up, catch it. Throw it up, catch it you got to learn to say no. you got to learn not to be distracted. Gary, let's start this. No, no, no. You start it. If it's so good, but well, we get distracted. <laughs> just because you should do something, just because you can do something, does not mean you should do something. Just because you could, doesn't mean you should. And if you should, If you shouldn't, and you do it, it becomes a distraction. I don't know if that made any sense. I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. Some of you would benefit you to become laser-focused. You know what the best restaurants are? I hate a restaurant that's got a big old menu. That just tells me they don't do anything good. My favorite restaurant in all the world is Bones in Atlanta. I've only been able to go one time ever in my life, or twice in my life, both times, I got a connection there, and he hooked me up, and it was awesome. And you go there, and their menu's about this big. Guess what they they make there? Steaks. Guess what they make really well? Steaks. If you want chicken Alfredo, there's nothing wrong with chicken Alfredo. But you ain't getting it there. See, some of you live your life like you're going Corral. Now, don't, I ain't talking on Golden Corral now. Golden Corral is good. But it sure of hell ain't great. Now, there's times I want to go to Golden Corral and put a hurting on it. But you are Golden Corral. You got a little bit of everything and none of it's extraordinary. When you need to go to Bones and get a real steak. And it's amazing. And it changes you. Like, did you know that a steak can change your life? It can. I'm telling you, it can. Like, when you take out your fork and cut the steak with your fork, and you put it on your tongue, and it begins to melt, and it is the most heavenly experience you have ever had in your life that you don't even notice how expensive it was because it's so amazing. But guess what? They're so great at it because that's all they do. Do you want to be Bones? Do you want to be Ruth Chris, or do you want to be the Golden Corral? Got to get focused. Some of you need to internalize that. Some of you need to internalize that. Some of you need to internalize that. For example, you're raising three kids right now. You're working a full-time job. Someone is telling you that raising three kids is a great work. You're not believing it. Someone's coming all saying, you ought to get active in this and active in that, and they're making you feel guilty. No, no, you might not have the time to get active in that and get active in that and get active in this because you're doing a great work raising your three kids and working your full-time job, and that's your stage in life right now. What they're asking you to do is not bad, but you're doing the great work right now. You're building this business. You're serving at church, and sure, you want to play on that softball team. Sure, you want to go on that hunting trip, and there's nothing wrong with the softball team, and there's nothing wrong with the hunting trip, but you've got to learn to say no to some good things if you're chasing great things. I love college football. I love it. And three years ago, when I started doing festivals, and I added something else to my plate, and I wasn't willing to give up Action Church because of it, and I wasn't willing to give up my kids because of it, and I wasn't willing to give up my wife because of it. I had to say no to some things. So, guess what? Not that there's anything wrong with college football, I haven't watched a college football game in three years. You know why? I don't have time on Saturday to watch college football and get ready and accomplish to do all the things that I want to do. But here's the funny thing I see a light at the end of the tunnel in that. I spent the three years building the great thing and now it's getting to where it's self-sustaining and it works on its own and my freedom of my time is a little bit different because I put in the work and said no to the good thing the Georgia Bulldogs, praise God, hallelujah, God's team. <laughs> and really, they started winning when I quit watching, so maybe I knew there was a the problem. <laughs> Someone called me the other day and they said, hey, I'm trying to get my kids back and I've been sober this long. And I'm working these steps. And from your series, are you, are you telling me I need to go do this, this, and this? I said, no, 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 no. Right now, you need to stay sober. And you need to work your job. And you need to get your kids back. That's the great work right now. See, when Nehemiah got the wall built, he moved on to the next work. They're in different seasons in life. But you've got to, well, the worst thing that individual could do would go start a meeting. He don't need the distraction of that right now. He's killing it because his legs are focused. The enemy will try to distract you. Come on down, Nehemiah. (laughs) The enemy will try to discredit you. The enemy will try to discredit you. When you're doing anything for the glory of God, you need to understand that your spiritual enemy will try to discredit you. This is the good one that kind of hit home to me this week and how I knew God gave me this sermon six weeks ago enemy loves to discredit you. You know how he does it? One of the reasons he does it is by spreading rumors about you. By spreading rumors. Just know this, that the more you do for God, the more people will gossip about you. The more you do for God, people will misinterpret your motives. They'll misunderstand what you're doing. You think that they should see the good in you. They're your enemy. They don't see the good in you. But you're allowing them to affect you. You need to accept that the enemy is going to come along and try to discredit you. You need to accept that they're going to come along and spread rumors about you. Then the fifth time, they'd come to me four times. The fifth time, Sam Balance sent his aid to me with the same message. Don't miss this. His hand was on an unsealed letter. We'll get back to that. In which it was written, it is reporting among the nations, and Geshem says it's true. Oh, ooh, Geshem says it's true. You know, I've heard this, You know, so-and-so said it's true. That you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you're building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king. And you have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. This is the king of Judah. Now this report, we'll get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. Unwritten letter, baby. You know what that was back in the day? That's Facebook. Because anytime you sent a letter you didn't want someone to read, you put a wax seal on it. That way when I got it, if the seal was broken, I knew everyone had read it. But when it was unsealed, that was where all of the messengers could pull it out and read it. That's the way they could talk. Look what this letter says. And they're coming along, and they're accusing. Geshem's coming along, and he's reading, and he's talking, and he's saying, Hey, we hear that the only reason you're rebuilding this wall is, is you're planning to revolt against Persia. You went to the king and got permission, and we're here, and they're going to make you the king of Judah. They're going to make you the king of Jerusalem. According to these reports, you've already got prophets in place to make you the king. So think about it. The messenger along, and ain't no way the messenger didn't open. It was unsealed. Oh, you know what I heard about Nehemiah? I heard the only reason they're building this is that. And that person says, what you hear about Nehemiah? The only reason they're building the walls is, and did you hear about this? And You heard about that, and you heard about this. And all of a sudden, the rumors are spreading about Nehemiah. The more you do for God, the more people are going to talk about you and spread rumors. What are they doing? They were spreading rumors. There was no truth in any of this. Matter of fact, if you go back a chapter to Nehemiah chapter 5, you're going to see the opposite was true. Nehemiah was the most self-sacrificing leader around. He could have had financial gain for himself, and he didn't. He could have taken food that was available only to the governor, and he refused. It. He said, no, how can I eat that food when the people are going without food? He didn't. He, he took his own resources his own finances and his own food, and made sure the people of Jerusalem had food and they had money to function. There was nothing in self gain about Nehemiah, yet they're spreading these rumors about him. Rumors are just part of it. You don't face opposition for doing something wrong, you face opposition for doing something right. And guess what Nehemiah did with the rumors? Very little The Bible says he prayed And he got back to work He prayed And he got back to work He prayed And he got back to work He didn't feel the need To defend himself He didn't feel the need To refute the rumors He knew they weren't True And he went back about his business. He got back to work. It's funny the rumors I hear about me. I hear crazy rumors about me. There's the boring ones. You know, Gary doesn't believe the Bible. Um, My buddy told me that I got a pastor buddy in Macon. And he said, I had a family move to Canton. Listen to how crazy some of these rumors are. I told them they ought to go visit your church. And they said, they wouldn't come visit their, your church because the neighbor said you throw your Bible at the end of your sermon. I was like, What are you talking about? I throw my Bible? All of a sudden it occurred to me, I was like, Oh, I always drop my Bible on the ground when I'm done. I drop my Bible on the ground where I Speedy knows where it's at, where Speedy can go put it where I like it to be kept, where I know where it's at the next Sunday. He throws his Bible. He throws his Bible. He has a heavy respect for the Word of God. They're just entertainment Christianity. A favorite. I've always heard this one since we started, that this is a front for my drug empire. <laughs> Y'all have heard it, don't lie. He, you know, he runs a drug empire down there, and he, the church is just a front for it. And I love this one too. <laughs> this is my favorite one too because I have so much money, you know. That church is where he launders all his money. What money? <laughs> like, like, what money? Like there's just those, those kind of the, the dumb ones, you know. But then they are like the crazy ones, you know. There's the insane ones that get really out there <laughs> this past week <laughs> due to a situation in our personal life. We're trying to help a friend as he struggles, and we're taking care of his kid. And it was funny. People who know nothing about that situation were posting on Facebook about stuff from my past. Well, here's what's funny about stuff from my past. It, it's no secret. It's like, ooh, ooh, you told somebody something. But then that wasn't nothing. They had to make up other stuff. And you folks got so tore up about it. You got so bent out of shape about it. You guys were irate about it. And I appreciated it. You know what I did? I just ignored it. I just got back to work. Y'all were sending me screenshots. I, you know, I said, hey, cool. Don't send me those anymore. I don't care. But, 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 but I can't control what somebody else says. I don't care. It doesn't bother. It bothers me. But I can't do anything about it. I know the truth. Amen. Nehemiah knew the truth. Nehemiah knew he wasn't trying to become the king. Nehemiah knew he wasn't rebuilding the wall to revolt. He didn't feel the need to justify himself. And here's the deal the people who spread rumors like that love nothing more than you to give them credence. Quit giving them credence. You ignore it, they go away. If they don't go away, call my father in law. Would it go away? But here's the deal I don't even mean this here. I don't let rumors bother me. Maybe it's I got 20 years in it. I don't know. I'm so used to it. But you guys let it bother you. And what it does is when it bothers you, it's keeping you from doing the good work. I appreciate you having my back. And I would always have your back. Don't give credence to them. Man. There was one person commenting on the screenshot. Someone I said, well, I know that person. I know about her situation and her drug abuse and the fact that she doesn't have her children, and why she doesn't have her children, and, like, I'm worried about what, and I don't mean that in a judgmental way, I just mean, like, I'm worried about what she's saying about me? Please. I just don't care. Get ready for it. People are going to spread rumors. And Nehemiah said, I'm working on the wall. I don't have time to justify it. I know that I know the truth. You know what's amazing is when you don't live in darkness... There's nothing to drag into the light. I always tell people, you're just an open book. I said, I'm an open book that way. No one can blackmail me with anything. You might not like me, but it's already out there. They'll spread rumors about you. You know what else they do? They'll try to get you to compromise. The second thing your enemy will do to discredit you is to tempt you to compromise, to to compromise your integrity, to sin, to discredit yourself. Verse 10, we see a new character introduced. This is when it gets all Jerry Springer-like. Shemaiah comes along. I guess that's his name. And Shemaiah was probably the temple priest. The reason we say that is because he invites Nehemiah into the temple, and only the temple priest would have had access into the temple. Nehemiah didn't have access to the temple. For Nehemiah to go into the temple would have been Nehemiah compromising against God's law. But Shemaiah comes and says, hey, come on into the temple where it's safe. Really wanted him to come to the temple because there was someone that was going to kill him inside the temple. Nehemiah could have compromised. Let's read the verse, verse ten. He said, "Let us meet in the house of God, inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they're coming to kill you." <laughs> Nehemiah, he's a pimp. He said, "Should a man like me run away? Should someone like me go into the temple to save his?" Life? And he didn't mean him like arrogantly. Like me, he meant like me. I don't have the right to go into the temple. I'm not a priest. That's God's place. That's the holy place. I'm not consecrated. I'm not set apart. I don't have a a right to be in that temple. Yeah, Nehemiah, but you're saving your life. Go in the temple. I'm not compromising. I'm not compromising what's right because they're doing something wrong. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Samballot had hired him. Ain't nothing worse than a man of God for hire. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. What was the sin? Going into the temple. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Come on to the temple for safety. Made logical sense. If you'd have went to the people, they'd probably say, go do it, man. We don't don't want to lose you. But he knew if he stepped in that temple where he wasn't supposed to be, they would then start discrediting Nehemiah. He went where he wasn't supposed to go. They'll set you up to compromise. Nehemiah could have easily done this because as you rise in effectiveness and as a leader, it's easy to start to believe you're entitled to certain things. Gary Lamb, king of that 10 years ago. It would have been easy to Nehemiah, I've rebuilt the wall. I've restored everything here. I've earned the right to go hang out in the temple and protect myself. I'm above the rules. But he was a man of character and he wouldn't compromise. He said, I'm not supposed to go there. I'm not that important, because I'm not a priest. As you rise in effectiveness, your spiritual enemy will try to convince you that you are more than you really are. We see it all the time amongst leaders. (laughs) I deserve more money than they're paying me. Before long, a spirit of entitlement sets in, and you compromise. No one's immune. I'm not immune to it. That's why I will not, I don't touch money around. We were backstage today. And the person who normally opens the safe was there and said, Hey, do you know the code? I said, I don't know the code on the safe. They looked at me. I don't know the code on so I said, You need to go get the person who knows it. I said, This person knows it. Go out there and get them. Because I gotta be honest with you, if I had access to the money, there's times money's tight. I don't want the compromise. I, I don't want, I don't want to have to make the decision not to do it. Because I'm wicked. I'd like to say I'd say no. But when the house payment ain't getting paid, it ain't festival season, I got three more months, all of a sudden I got access to this money someone just gave me. I'm like, hmm. We had someone call recently, and they gave a, probably the largest donation in our church. They are going to write a check. There's nothing I could have done with it. They said, can I meet you? I said, nope. It's just a check. I said, yeah, I know, man. I appreciate it. I'm going to send this person over to meet you. They said, it's a check. I said, I know. <laughs> I know. But I ain't seen that many zeros ever. (laughs) I don't want the temptation. They'll try to discredit you. Could be at work. You have a great reputation as being a strong Christian. And all your friends, they may not agree with you, but they respect you. You're that guy they come to when you're having a hard time. They ask you to pray for them and do stuff. And then one day you get in that mindset, you know what? These people take advantage of me. I mean, I'm doing all the work around here. I, I'm the one who makes this place run. And you take something that you're not supposed to take because you think you're entitled to it. Enemy loves to discredit you. I told you by the time I was at Ingalls, and the lady gave me too much change, and I never count my change ever. It just felt weird in my hand, and so I was walking up the door, and I was like, oh, she gave me like $30 too much, and I went back. I said, hey, you gave me $30 too much. Here you go. She looked at me and she says, yeah. Heard your sermon two weeks ago. I want to see if you'd be honest. Here's the deal. I never count my change. I, I could have left it. She'd have thought I was being dishonest. Just something was weird about it. Just trying to discredit. They'll try to discredit you everywhere you go. They wanted Nehemiah to go in there. You've got to operate with integrity. <laughs> We see it all the time. A leader abuses power. He becomes greedy. Steps into sexual sin. All kinds of things because they think they're entitled to it. I, I don't talk very much about ten years ago, but ten years ago I thought I was entitled to everything I did. I justified it. Look at all I'm doing for God. Thousands of people show up every week. Like that's how sin is. Sin's crazy. I thought I was just getting, I thought God was letting me sin. How stupid is that? And don't mmm me, because you've been there. Nehemiah, though, man, he's a pimp. He said, i not compromising. Why should a man like me run away? I don't have anything to run from. I haven't done anything wrong. I don't have anything to run from. I don't have skeletons in my closet. I don't have anything to run from. I'm standing here and building the wall. I'm not entitled to go in there. We need to learn that sometimes you just got to stand and you got to fight. He said, I will not go. No, I'm not going into the temple. Yes, it might be more safe in there. Yes, it might help me stay alive. But I'm not compromising. God will protect me. I came here to build a wall, and I'm not stopping until the wall is built. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up my good name. I'm not giving up my integrity. I'm not giving up my call because God has created me to do this, and there's going to come a time, a time in the life of your passion and a time in the life of your calling when you're about 80% done, and you see the light at the end of the tunnel, and the enemy's going to come along, and they're going to try to discredit you. They're going to try to discourage you. They're going to spread rumors about you. They're going to try to meet with you. They're going to try to get you to compromise, and you've got to remember, man, the calling of God on your life is better than any temporary gain here on this side of the earth. Somebody say amen. amen. God has created you for this season. You don't allow the enemy to distract you. You don't allow the enemy to rob you of your joy. You don't allow the enemy, the enemy, the enemy to make you question what you're called to do. You help those addicts. You feed the homeless. You take care of that child that no one to take care of. You get your finances in order. You live the life. You fight for your marriage because your marriage is worth fighting for. You fight for your children. You cut the people out who don't see it. The people who want to discredit you. Oh, but their family, who cares? Who we had this sense of loyalty to family. If the family is not behind you, and the family, I didn't say you're always going to get along with them, but here, if the family's causing you to, be a st- to stumble along the way, then cut the family. Right. Believe the lies. You're better than that. God doesn't make junk. God shaped you, formed you, created you. There's a plan for your life, and a purpose for your life, and a vision for your life, and you're 80% there, and you're going to screw it up because the enemy's going to come along. God calls the ordinary God puts the pieces together. Critics will come. Discouragement will come. Distractions will come. (laughs) Nehemiah ignored it. Look what it says in verse 15. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elah in 52 days. 140 years the wall had been down. An ordinary man with an extraordinary vision, stayed laser-focused, and he restored hope to a country in 52 days. I wonder if he would have been able to do that had he stayed distracted, had he let the enemy frustrate him, had he worried about what people who don't matter said. Oh, what about those people? Amazing thing happens when you stay focused on the will of God and you ignore them. Verse 16, when all... Of our enemies. That word all is an amazing word in the original language. It means all. Not some of them, all of them. When all of our enemies had heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost their self confidence because they realized this work had been done with the help of our God. You want to shut up your enemies? You want to shut up your critics? You want to shut up your detractors? You want to shut up those who are trying to derail you? You ignore them. You pray, you ignore, and you do the work. And when you fulfill the vision God has given you for your life, you'll look around and they won't be there. It's amazing. Where you at now? You were here when I was building. You were here when you were doubting me. You were here when you were afraid. Satan, the wall's built. Where you at? I I said, he will go before us and make the crooked places straight. You don't see what's going on around the corner, but God's already taken care of it. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Let the devil handle your enemies and your detractors. And it's amazing. Let God handle them. And it's amazing what will happen. You're trying to fight battles that God says, let me fight it. Quit being distracted. You know some of the most godly stuff some of you could do? Pull out your phone right now. Press down on that screen where it starts jiggling. The apps. Hit that little X on Facebook. Not because Facebook's bad. Because you stay distracted by it. Someone asked me this week who's very close to me. They said, I don't understand how it doesn't affect you it affects me so much I said because I don't care what they think I don't answer to them that's the beauty of knowing that you know that you know that you know what God's called you to do I know beyond a shadow of a doubt God's called me to start this church let me get real personal here for a minute I know beyond a shadow of a doubt God called my wife to take care of that little girl at this time. You can get on Facebook when you don't know the story all day. I I know I I bring a lot of personal business out. I I don't do fake good. People can leave. People left this last week over it. I'm not mad at them. I love the people who left. But they stuck their nose where it doesn't belong, and they don't know the facts. Does it bother you? It doesn't bother me because I know what we're called to do. Right. You know what I've learned is when I have a la- the critics do bother me in life, it's when I'm not 100% sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Because there's times I said, I'm like, eh, this sounds good. Oh, man, the critics are, eh, 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 But when I know that I know, well, I'm an a-hole about it. I'll run ev- and I don't, please don't take that as but I'll run everyone off if I feel like it's the vision God's given me. But it looks like you keep showing up. And I keep showing up for your visions. We sat down last night and talked about a vision. I was pumped when I left talking to you, Michelle. You should have brought me some today, too. You got some? You're lying right now. You got some on you right now for me. So you got some cold ones that I can go home and hear. Are you lying? Is she lying, Jack? No, so oh, now you're bragging me some later. Boy, ain't it amazing what happens when you lie and you compromise and you got a and then you got a smart man back here. You know that big old boy wasn't gonna keep it quiet that you brought in food. I got me some food, Gary. <laughs> when you know God's called you to do something, you do it. Let's pray.